All right, if you have a, you know, there's some handouts out front uh, for you. These are also on the website. My whiteboard from last week is now posted out on our website as well. Uh, it's, at least it's the whiteboard version that I did at home. Uh, so feel free to go out and access that. Um, it's in my handwriting as opposed to a PowerPoint, but I think it's mostly legible, if you will. This is uh, week two in our series on evangelism. Uh, we have a sequence of events uh, that are rolling out now through uh, next spring, for that matter. Uh, there's a logical flow to these events. Right now, this five-week series on evangelism is really looking at uh, a biblical theology of evangelism. Uh, it's, it's designed to put the basics in place uh, so that we'll understand what our role is. And this morning we'll talk about our role versus God's role. Uh, we'll next move to some, a, a course and some material that will do two things. It will equip you to share the gospel with others. Uh, and it's, uh, uh, it's a great way to help you understand to, how to explain the gospel and discuss the gospel. So that follows this five-week course. And then we'll have a class where we will invite non-believers to come and go through Christianity Explored with us. And as Will announced uh, during the announcements this morning, Rico Tice, the founder and developer of Christianity Explored, will be here preaching on a Sunday evening of Labor Day weekend. I think that Sunday is the third. So uh, please uh, mark your calendars for that. We'll have a meet and greet with him 4.30 that afternoon on Sunday. I think you'll all enjoy uh, meeting him and also hearing, hearing him preach. So, this will be, this week will be probably one of the more interactive of the five sessions that I'll be teaching. Uh, I know it's a little difficult to read my whiteboard, but my whiteboard is kind of like a pacifier. I can't teach without a whiteboard. I, I get very nervous, uh, so I, I need something over here to uh, keep me calm. So uh, even if you can't read it, uh, it's something I just have to have with me. Uh, so this morning, <clears throat> we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that is uh, very important in the New Testament regarding evangelism. We're going to, last week I did a very broad scope uh, in terms of range of looking at the mandate to evangelize that, that we see in Scripture. Uh, today we're going we're gonna to spend most of our time on six verses, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Uh, the evangelist, uh, John Chapman, an Australian evangelist, called this passage of Scripture the most important passage on evangelism in the New Testament. And I would agree completely with him. I would expand his, his statement <clears throat> to simply say this, this entire section of the book of 2 Corinthians is the most, in, uh, most important section on evangelism in the New Testament. And that broader section is from chapter 2, verse 14 through chapter 7, verse 4 or 5, somewhere thereabouts. Uh, the whole thing is really... Paul's great manifesto on gospel ministry. And as I indicated last week, if something's important, we need to give it a Latin name. And so I, I, uh, uh, I raised the question with uh, a Latin scholar who was in this morning. He taught Latin in high school for many years. 
I asked him how to put that into uh, Latin. I, I wasn't really trusting the translations I was seeing online and my ninth grade Latin was failing me totally. So here's a, here's, here's a go at it. This is Paul's magnum, manifestum, evangelii, ministry. So there you have it. This is Paul's great manifesto on gospel ministry and ministry of the new covenant. Uh, and it's, it's devoted to this, this important uh, passage. Um, so let's uh, take a look right now at the broader context. I'm going to show you how Paul begins this section uh, of his gospel ministry. And I want to show you, uh, one, it's, it's also one of the, what I would call a model of the Christian walk. Um, in a, another way of saying that, it's one of those vivid imageries that we get in Scripture of what it is to walk with Christ. Uh, not all metaphors are created equal. This one has a much more vivid uh, uh, image for us. It's the triumphal procession, or it's a Roman parade. Uh, and it's quite fascinating to me that Paul begins this great digression. Many theologians refer to this broad section as a major digression uh, in his letter, and it certainly is, is major. And he begins it with this uh, triumphal procession. Let me read for you uh, chapter 2, verses 14 uh, through 16. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? I want to read you a description of this triumphal procession by... Uh, by uh, uh, Ken Hughes in his book on 2 Corinthians that helps you to understand what this picture is about. Uh, he says that, uh, you know, Ken Hughes writes, a triumph, this is a triumph of the first order featured the conquering general riding in a triumphal chariot drawn by four horses. He was clothed in a purple toga and a tunic stitched with palm fronds. In Paul's day, Triumphal processions were conducted with grand theatrical pomp, always a train of conquered subjects in a vast vanguard. Add to this the pagan priest burning incense and musicians and cultic rhythms, and we have the picture. So here we have the general, and a general couldn't, couldn't just decide to have his own parade. The Roman Senate had to approve this. And so when uh, a triumphal procession was approved. The general is riding in this chariot in the front and all of the plunder, the wealth, the treasures that he's captured along with many of his conquered subjects were, uh, were following along uh, behind this parade. And all of, the, all of the things that followed the general were bringing glory and honor to this general. They were there to honor him and uh, show what a genius, what, uh, how magnificent he had been uh, in battle. And so that's what Paul is drawing on here. And it's one of those great models or images of what it is to walk with Christ. If you want to drill down a little bit further, 
I won't do that this morning, but in chapter 4, verses 8 through 12, he unpacks, Paul unpacks that a little further. Uh, but let's go back and look at uh, this uh, section of Scripture and notice how that uh, he says, Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him ev everywhere. Our following of Christ uh, gives off the fragrance of Christ. It gives off the, the gospel of Christ. And notice that, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. So, so people either fall on one, one of two sides of the gospel. They embrace it and they uh, follow it. Uh, they live it out. Or for them, it seems untrue, they can't see it, and they, uh, they reject it, uh, and so they, they fall away from it. And he uses these phrases that for one, it's a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. So that fragrance is the gospel. And so I think it's fascinating that Paul begins this important section on the ministry of the new covenant uh, with one of those uh, very vivid images of what it is in, in following Christ. Last week I referenced uh, Christ's call to follow him, to take up our cross and to follow him. That's another of those images. We may look at that a little bit more to, uh, next Sunday when we look at the, uh, the individual elements uh, of, of the gospel. So let me move us now to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> we'll spend our time today on this. Uh, we'll go through it, uh, identify the key points in it, and then we'll do an exercise, uh, to an exercise of application uh, to help uh, kind of drill down into understanding of why this matters. As I was early in my journey of learning how to be active in evangelism, this was one of the missing pieces that I didn't know I was missing. Uh, and it helped to explain why my relationship with evangelism was kind of a, a love-frustration relationship with it. When I, when I discovered this, when this was taught uh, to me uh, by Rico Tice, for that matter, uh, it, it really it flipped me. It turned me right side up. It, and then I now was able to have a relationship with evangelism that was love-freedom. It, it changed me from being a failure to being to being a success because I had viewed success in a wrong way and I think you'll see how that plays out as we go through this passage so it's hugely important and uh, something I think that is actually the foundational principles of biblical evangelism Second uh, Corinthians 4 1 therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God we do not lose heart but we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word but by the open statement of the truth we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God and even if our gospel is veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing in their case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants 
for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. First of all, I want you to notice uh, a few facts of this context. And I have placed those on the board here. First of all, Paul tells us that we have received this ministry based on the mercy of God. And I think of mercy and grace as, as being fairly, fairly similar. You know, and and uh, it, it comes as undeserved favor from God. Mercy may convey the idea of forgiveness a little bit more than grace does, but they both uh, fit in the same category. And, and Paul is saying that we have received this ministry, this ministry of proclaiming the gospel on the basis of God's mercy. And so grace and mercy, if we think of a, a metaphor or an image to try to understand those, I think to properly understand them, grace and mercy are like a river. They are not like a lake or a stagnant pool of water. Uh, grace, we receive grace, and if properly understood, it flows through to other people. If we try to bottle it up, it becomes somewhat stagnant. And having grown up in the south of Mississippi during the summertime, during August, what does a stagnant pool of water produce? Mosquitoes, yes. Yeah, so mosquitoes aren't very useful, are they? At least I haven't discovered a use for them. <clears throat> but grace is more like a rushing river <clears throat> that comes to us, and as we understand it, we pass that on. And I think mercy is the same way. Now, also embedded in this passage are, uh, is another important fact. It's not such a pleasant fact, and the fact is that unbelievers... Uh, have blindness. Uh, there's a blindness there. And Paul gives us one reason for that blindness. He says that the God, God with little g of this world, has blinded their minds. Uh, I can think of other reasons for blindness. I think modern-day idolatry is another thing that causes blindness. But Paul names uh, the God of this world as, as the one uh, that is a significant source of this blindness. So now I want to move to uh, the three pillars that are in, that are in, this, uh, in this section. And we're going to take them one by one. Um, first of all, uh, what do you see as God's role in evangelism from this passage? And I'll give you a clue. It's in verse 6. How would we describe God's role here? We would, call, we would put this under... Under the category of God's sovereignty, we see his sovereignty here. So what do we see as God's role? Okay. God gives us the knowledge. Let's drill down a little bit further. It's God is the one who opens blind eyes. God is the only one who can open blind eyes. Let me read verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What passage of scripture is Paul alluding to here? 
It's not a direct citation, but it's a very definite allusion. Yeah. Well, God said, let there be light, and there was light. There was darkness in the world. And so what is Paul conveying to us here that is required in order for someone to understand the gospel? What is, what is he implying here very strongly? Actually, it's more than implying. What has to happen for uh, that veil that shrouds an unbeliever's eyes for that veil to be removed? What has to happen on the part of God and God and his role? He has to remove it. And the implication is that, uh, that a miracle has to occur. It requires God's power. So uh, I think it's very safe to say that whenever someone, a non-believer, comes to faith in Christ, uh, a miracle has happened here. And so Paul is giving us a very direct uh, correlation for that. All right, let's shift to gospel integrity. Uh, what do we learn about gospel integrity here? And we can see that in verses 1 through 2. I'll read, I'll read those again. Therefore, having the ministry of God, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Let's break those down into individual bullets. Uh, there are some, there's three or four negatives there, and then there's one big positive. Break down the, the negatives for me. What do you see? We're not to what? Practice cunning. What does cunning mean? Trickery? We're not to trick people? No bait and switch? What else are, are we to not do? What are, else are we to avoid? No tampering. How might we tamper with the word? If you could leave out... Uh, Graham? <laughs> it was. It, it, well, of course, yeah. Uh, you're, uh, it, it's so tempting to say to people that uh, Christianity can accommodate whatever they currently believe, however they want to live, and that no, nothing, nothing, nothing costly is necessary. Yeah. Yeah, for, for those listening at home or watching on YouTube, Graham is basically saying it seems like this was written for 2023, for our age. Uh, and it seems like we shouldn't need to have to hear that, but uh, it's very tempting and so often happens that people you know, dull down the gospel. That's a very poor summary of what you said, but you're absolutely right. If you could leave out one part of the gospel uh, message, what would you, that, that is so hard for people to overcome, what, what would it be? Judgment. judgment, yeah, judgment and wrath. That would be pretty hard. What? The idea of sin, 
Yeah, yeah, I've had people get angry at me about when I raised the issue that they were sinners. I think you can also tamper with God's word by interpretation or misinterpretation. Yes. I've met lots of people who believe <coughs> just crazy things about particular words that they mm-hmm. twisted to the day to my grandpa accommodate something that they believe that's, that's false. Uh, or even translations. There's translations that do things with God's yeah. word. Yeah, Will was saying that uh, uh, that we can tamper with God's word by changing the emphasis or changing the meaning of words or highlighting one word to the exclusion of some others, take things out of context. Yeah, exactly. All right, what, uh, there's two other negatives that I'm, I'm looking for. All right, that's not one of the negatives, but yes. It doesn't fit in my gospel integrity, you know. <clears throat> J.D. is Hercule number one. I'm Hercule number two. So you got your chairs, okay? I, well, I've got my whiteboard here. Uh, but we're not to lose heart. Why does, now that you're on that subject, why does Paul say that? He says it three times. Yeah, because it's, cause it's, yes, it is easy to, to lose heart. Uh, all right, I'm still looking for two more negatives here. No underhanded. No underhanded. And one more. Disgraceful. Disgraceful. All right. Yeah, no cunning, no trickeration, no tampering. No underhanded, uh, no disgraceful. Uh, Some of those are are somewhat uh, similar. Um, And it's interesting, the word tamper, uh, one of the theologians that I read said that word tampering as a noun can mean bait for fish. So we're not putting lures out there trying to, uh, to deceive people. Uh, into buying into something that uh, that may or may not be be that reality. Okay, good. Uh, that that's uh, that's a, that's a good job on those. Now our service. Let's look at uh, verse five, and let's see. This focuses on what our role is. Uh, let me find it. Here. Yep. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants. For Jesus' sake. All right, so how would you describe our role here? We looked at God's role. This was kind of break that down into our role. What, what is our job? To be messengers. Yep. We are to proclaim, proclaim Christ. He does give us a negative or one thing we are not to do. And what is that? Or it's not about. It's not about us. We're to not magnify ourselves. So we're not to magnify ourselves. And what else? There's something that's kind of implied there, it's not specifically stated. 
I would say we are to engage. It's strongly implied there. We, we are to be engaged. We are to be intentional in terms of this proclaiming, this carrying this message. So I, I put engage here. Whereas proclaim has to do with gospel integrity. We proclaim the gospel in all of its integrity and, and in all of its part, parts. These two, it's not about ourselves. I would say that has to do with idolatry, particularly 20th century, 21st century idolatry, uh, where uh, you know, idols are another of those things that, that blinds us. Uh, because there are a lot of there's a lot of opposition to this proclaiming, and we know that our enemy, uh, Satan, and the cosmic forces of evil do not want us doing that. And so, one of the personal battles that I think we all have is uh, is, is this issue uh, of idolatry, and so because it can certainly interfere with those with those uh, uh, responsibilities that we carry. So these are the three pillars of biblical foundation, God's sovereignty, gospel integrity, and our service. Now, uh, as, we, as we think about, you know, kind of a short version of that is God's role is he opens blind eyes. None of us have that ability. Uh, that is so crucial to understand. Our job is to speak the gospel, uh, to, you know, whether it's from the pulpit or uh, having coffee with a neighbor, uh, our job is to communicate that gospel and to discuss it. Any questions about this so far? We're going to move to an exercise in, uh, in application. Any question, though? The engaged part reminds me of 1 Peter 3.15, where we're told to always be ready to give an answer yeah. to those. Uh, not answer every question, but <coughs> the reason of the hope. Yeah. Uh, Todd's comment was this reminds him of 1 Peter 3, 15, uh, to be ready to give uh, an answer for the hope that is in us. And, that, as, and as uh, Todd pointed out, that's not just we have to be up, you know, up on our apologetics, but it's to talk about our faith and yeah, testimony. testimony. Good. Any other comments or quest questions? Okay, now we're going to do an exercise that will go through each of those three pillars and we'll assume that we understand two of the three, but we don't understand a third of, of those. And we'll, take, we'll rotate through each one in its turn. The first one I've set up is that let's assume that I understand gospel integrity and I understand our service but I don't understand God's sovereignty. Where will that leave me? What weakness will that be in my life as it relates to evangelism? Lose heart. I'll lose heart. You like that heart thing. You're, you're not giving it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll put too much emphasis on my own abilities, won't I? 
Yeah. I'll put too much emphasis on my own abilities. Yeah. Yeah, the comment is that we'll be, could be abusive and manipulative. Uh, I'll summarize that into we'll put too much pressure or we'll be manipulative. Uh, what else emerges out of this? Yes, Dave. Yeah, the comment was that uh, when we look at super Christians who have all this knowledge, we can become discouraged because I don't have all of that. I don't have all that charisma. And, and that is one of those. We will become either discouraged. We'll also become discouraged if we share our faith and nobody ever pays attention to it. No one really embraces Christ, and I get, uh, get discouraged. What's the flip side of that? Well, we were saved in a fundamental Baptist church, and it was hardcore evangelism, and they were teaching us all kind of techniques to get people to say the prayer. Mm-hmm. So if you really spent time out there, and you were really pretty good with the techniques, you'd be coming back, you know, I saved 10 people today. Yeah. So the flip side of losing heart is becoming prideful. Yep. Yeah, the, the, the answer is the flip side is becoming arrogant or prideful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've heard, I've literally heard that. When I was in Denver, I, I didn't hear it directly from the person who said it, but one who did hear them had said, I know somebody, in, an evangelist, not a pastor, but an evangelist in Florida, and he led... I think he said 200 people last year to the Lord. And he said his goal for next year is to lead 2,000 people to the Lord. Now that's about the most ridiculous statement that I can think of saying. Because what does that do to me? Well, I haven't seen anybody come to the Lord this year. And I've shared my faith. So that just leads me discouraged. Whereas he's over here rather arrogant. And the fact is, that's probably not true, what he's saying. (laughs) So... So it's, uh, you, you can see why I enjoyed learning this, learning what God's role versus my own role. Uh, because when God saves somebody, it's a, a pretty amazing thing. Um, yep, I'm going to add one more here that, that you probably won't think of, is that we will not cross the pain line. And I'll, I'll mention what I mean about that. That's a a concept that Rico Tice has been good to talk about. I've learned that uh, uh, he probably learned that from somebody else, but uh, 
uh, when I was teaching these three circles down in Ecuador about eight years ago, I sat down beside a missionary from Australia. And while someone was making announcements, he leaned over and said, that's John Chapman's material. <laughs> I said, you're exactly right. Fortunately, I knew the story. Rico had interned with John T Chapman. So he, uh, but Rico has this concept of the pain line. And what that basically means is that, think of a, a pain line here. We can, and, and here's easy things to talk about. We can talk about the weather. And we can talk about sports sometimes. You yeah, politics can go on either side of that, that line. But if you talk about sin or wrath, you can get slapped around when you come up across the pain line. And if I don't understand God's sovereignty, I can't really afford to be slapped around. Uh, now, in our culture, uh, it's becoming, uh, as persecution is growing, uh, it, being slapped around can be uh, rather traumatic and painful. Uh, but as a minimum, our reputation can be damaged. People can think you're a fanatic. And there are a couple of people that think I'm a fanatic. Uh, hopefully not too many, but, but we can, our, our rec reputation can be damaged. And if we don't understand God's sovereignty, and if we're not firmly rooted in his sovereignty, we won't be able to talk about these things. And so... Uh, it's important that we have our grounding uh, in, in God's sovereignty. Uh, that's where our safety is. Okay, let's move to the next uh, uh, item. Let's assume I understand God's sovereignty, and I understand my service, our service, but I don't understand gospel integrity. Uh, and we've touched on that somewhat already. So what will we, what will we do if we don't understand the need to be faithful to the full biblical gospel. Yes, Dave. Yeah, no, that's exactly right, because Jesus is Lord, is the heart of the gospel. Jesus as Savior is not the heart of, heart of the gospel. Jesus saves those over whom he is Lord. Uh, and that is water, that's part of the watering down in our society, in our culture. So I'll take out some of the hard parts, and we'll say we'll take out other hard parts. What else will I do? Ultimately, you won't have a message to share because you're going to corrupt or tamper with or otherwise change the gospel. Yeah. Anything short of the gospel is going to share. Yeah. I, I will corrupt it. I'll water it down quite significantly. I might even add to it. I might embellish it. Uh, some people, some celebrity so-called pastors have become wealthy doing that. Your best life now. I mean, how many millions of books has that sold? Your best life now. Jesus wasn't really having his best life now uh, when he died on the cross. And he's called us to carry our cross. Jesus rules and reigns today from the cross. And he's told us to carry our cross with him. 
it's in a, a similar path. What else might I do? Yeah, yeah, no. Yes, we can make it about us. We will make it about us. We'll, uh, we'll talk about our story. We'll talk about ourselves on and on and on and never, never talk about uh, what, uh, what Christ, the great, the mighty works that Christ has, has done for us. And anything else? There, there's a couple of other items, but you've gotten the heart of it. But any, any. Well, we'll do that too. I'm a retired CPA. I can't can't pay for anything, so I think in terms of balance sheets, sometimes comes back. But yeah, we'll uh, we'll go drill wells where people need clean water, and that's hugely important to do. But we'll never tell them about the gospel. All right, we'll deliver need uh, in disasters and never try to make that connection. Uh, with with the gospel, but we'll, we'll also give we also can give some false assurance in in this. If we if we're presenting a watered down gospel, we we run the risk of giving someone who is not saved assurance that they are saved, and that that can be rather devastating as well. Okay, let's take up the last one here. Uh, we assume on this one that I understand God's sovereignty and gospel integrity but I do not understand my service. I've opted out from the Great Commission in this uh, hypothetical. So where does that leave us? What happens with that? Yeah, I won't engage. I will not engage is uh, a big one there. What else? Yeah, I'll think it's for the professionals only. Yep, I'll think it's for the professionals only. What else? What about my schedule, my calendar, my entertainment, my hobbies? I'll fill up my life with a lot of really good moral things, won't I? But there'll be no time left over. There'll be no time for evangelism. That's a battle that every one of us faces every day, <clears throat> especially in our prosperous society. Uh, we can fill up our time with, with all kinds of things. And I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not negative on hobbies. I think everybody should have a hobby. Uh, but you should not be like one a, a work associate who years ago said to me, said, said you know, I, I have 17 hobbies. I think I'm going to go and do contract labor, and that way I can work nine months out of the year and spend the other three pursuing those hobbies. 
<clears throat> I didn't ask him to name those 17. That seems like a lot, even for a, a hobby addict. Uh, but I do know he, he pursued his hobbies. And I, it'll just be nonstop entertainment, won't it? There's another thing that happens here, because when we're in that mode, you know, we get, in that vis- we, we get in that vicious cycle of idolatry blinds us to the, to the reality. And what happens in that, one of those blindnesses is that I will not be able to see lost people everywhere. You know, Jesus could see lost people everywhere. Uh, Paul could see lost people everywhere. I'll give you a passage of scripture where Paul references that. It's in this great manifesto of his in chapter 5. Um, if I can find it. Uh, yeah, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So Paul is basically saying there, we don't, we don't look at people based on all of the trappings that they have with their life. That their, their job is this, their title is this, uh, they have this kind of house. They do these kinds of things. Uh, Paul is saying that we don't look at people that way. We look at them from an eternal perspective. And so uh, if we don't understand our service, we'll become blind to the lostness and, and the need that's, uh, that's all around us. So anything else that you would like to add to our little chart? I have a... Yes, David. Yes. Com- yeah, comment from the floor is that uh, we, are, we are all weak and we all need help and we all need guidance. Um, and my reaction to that, Dave, is, is that I've, I've come to view that evangelism is a team sport and God gave it to his team, his people, uh, because of J.D.'s favorite item that we all, we, we can lose heart because we can. Uh, Matter of fact, I would even say we ought to think about some microcosms of that team sport. Uh, <clears throat> Matt Bonner and I, about eight or ten years ago, uh, we didn't know we were doing this, but we became evangelism partners. And for example, if I was going to have a lunch or meet a friend who didn't know the Lord, I would say, Matt, I'd text him, Matt, pray for me, I'm meeting so-and-so uh, two days from now, uh, pray that I'll have a chance to to, to share the gospel. And so he'd be praying with me. Now that was also served two other purposes, not just praying, but uh, the fact that uh, he would encourage me if things went south, but he would also hold me accountable just by the fact that I had to report back to him. <laughs> How did it go? Did I, did I make the attempt? And so Matt does the same thing with me. So we've been doing that for about the last eight or so years. And someone in a Sunday school class prior to my joining this church, pointed, heard Matt and I talking about that, and they said, that's a great model. You should teach that. <laughs> I said, well, that is a good, that is a good idea. 
So, uh, so anyway, that's kind of a microcosm of we do need help. It is, uh, we're easily discouraged. And I was looking at my notes, and I left off one of the most important things under God's sovereignty, that if we don't understand that, we won't pray. So make sure you have that in your notes. That's uh, another item that when we understand God's role in evangelism and our role, that uh, we will pray. Our prayers do matter. So we proclaim Christ and God opens blind eyes. And so what that means is that if I'm faithful to share the gospel with someone or to at least make an attempt, and if I get rebuffed, I'm not a failure. I'm not a failure if I do that. Uh, now, I may be a failure if I don't make the attempt and if I don't throw out some lines. There's a, there's a, there's a role for lures, <laughs> fishing lures, in evangelism. It's, and it's in the form of a, of a uh, provocative question, maybe, to try to open a door. There's a time where we should, and it's not a, there's nothing deceptive about that, but a, a valid question. Uh, but you know, what happens after we die? Where, is there life after death? You know, those are provocative questions. And so we should, uh, we should employ those. So we proclaim Christ. God opens blind eyes. And another misperception that I saw about evangelism from the 70s and even to, to now is that evangelism is tended to be viewed as a one-off, a one-time event. Present the gospel when you have that opportunity. Make a decision, then move on to the next person. But that is a terrible misconception because most people need to hear and wrestle with the gospel for many times and maybe even over many years. And so we should not think in terms of one and done. Uh, one gives us the, an open door for follow-up uh, if there's not a very positive response. Uh, and so we should think in terms of uh, giving people time uh, and space and opportunity uh, to consider these amazing claims that Christ uh, has given us. All right, we've got about one minute or less. So any question or comment? Yes, Marcia. What about the disturbance? For me, it's a matter of loving the person mm. enough to be uncomfortable, both making them uncomfortable yeah. and me, because of, I've had people kind of tell other people about me, why did you always have to go back to Jesus? Yeah. But it's because I love them. That's right. It's a love. It's a love ministry is what the comment from the floor, and that's an important driver in, uh, in the area of service. As a matter of fact, Paul agrees with you, Marcia. As I've studied his motivations in Scripture, especially in chapter 5 of, of 2 Corinthians, he lists several, but I've determined, in my opinion, his, he has two foundational motivations. One is the, the co compelling love of Christ which flows to other people. We care about where they will spend eternity. And the other is, is accountability, fear. Uh, and you can see that. Uh, and I was afraid of that when I first began to realize what he was saying here. I was afraid to say that was a valid motivation, fear or, or judgment. But it's, I'm not afraid of it any longer. I, I, it is an accurate uh, interpretation. Listen to this. He says, uh, so whether we are, verse 9, chapter 5, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due 
for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Wow, what a direct connection to evangelism. We persuade others. But what, what we are is known to God, and I hope is known to you also. So he had two foundational motivations, that driving love, compelling love for Christ, and knowing he's going to be held accountable uh, for what he has done. And I think that's a, a very valid uh, uh, motivation. So, okay, all good. All right, let me close this in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this tremendous responsibility you've given us and the tremendous help you've given us. Lord, help us to be faithful to you. Help us to grow in this area. Help us to uh, do battle daily with our idols, uh, good things that interfere with the most important things. Help us to do battle and to win that battle and to be faithful to you and faithful proclaimers of your word because we know we don't have the ability. We know we don't. Uh, and we know we fail so often. But Lord, help us to keep getting up and uh, renewing ourselves to be faithful to you in this area. And I pray that you give us all open doors for sharing the gospel. Help us to be alert and attentive, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.